That music is an invitation, an invitation to sit up and join me as we look into God's Word. This isn't your parents' Bible study or some pre-printed material from your denomination. Each episode, we tear into God's letter to humanity to see what would God have us know about Himself, about the world around us, and about ourselves. I am Brother Mitchell from the Discipleship Center, and you are listening to the TDC Podcast. Paul continues in teaching Timothy about the things that he needs to concentrate on to be a good overseer. We're going to pick up our text here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Let's read the text before we begin. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what is Paul talking about? This is a transitional passage and these things are everything that Paul has been talking about up to this point. The true gospel, which includes the bad news from the law and the good news of Jesus Christ. The need to be in prayer for all people, especially the civic leaders. The examples of how the church functions. The roles and expectations of those who lead in the church. And the warning about those who will leave the faith. Now, the overseer's position. Remember that the office of overseer is a service-oriented position in shepherding the local church. They're an example of what mature followers of Jesus is like, and they have to be able to teach or give instruction on how to follow Jesus. Now, before we continue on into the training of the overseer, we have to nail down a, a, a nagging issue of the nature of the overseer. I want to talk about the difference between the clergy and the laity. Can you point out a verse in the Bible that shows the division between clergy and laity as we know it today? Can anyone find a word clergy or laity in the Bible? Well, there is actually one word in the Bible that's used twice that includes the word laity. We see it in Revelations chapter 2 verse 6 and in verse 15 and the word is Nicolaitans. And God hated them for their teaching. This compound word is comprised of nikos, or the conqueror, 
and laity, which means the people. The Nicolaitans were idolatrous, and their teaching was compared to the worship of Baal, but instead of worshiping a false idol, they worshiped themselves. They took their position of authority in the church and used it as a license to practice immorality and gluttony. They changed the teaching of grace in a manner that caused the common folk in the church to pay for their faith in various ways. The Nicolaitans were literally the people conquerors. Now, there's a good reason why I bring this up now, and it's because within just a few hundred years, we go from church leaders coming up from within the local church to a system of professional church leaders being professionally trained and being called from a professional pool into the local church. The epitome of the false doctrines of the Nicolaitans comes to a head during the Council of Trent that was held between 1545 to 1563, and where it was stated there that if anyone shall say that there is not in the Catholic Church a hierarchy established by the divine ordination consisting of bishops, presbyters, and ministers, let him be anathema. Now, why don't we have a vibrant church leadership and training at the local level? Because now we have a notion that all the higher class leaders come from far away where they do mysterious things and they get something that we don't have. And subsequently, we hold them in a different light because they are not like us. Now, from someone who has been to a great Bible college, I want you to know that there is nothing going on at Bible school that shouldn't be going on in your home, especially with today's technology. You have at your fingertips the teachings of the world's greatest theologians and writers, all the historical debates on heresy and theology. You have the ability to see the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and how it has been traditionally translated. With all this knowledge available, I am flabbergasted that anyone would sit around and willingly remain blind to what God has to say to us. To remain ignorant of God's word is a sin. There's no class system in God's kingdom or his church. Now, while God has gifted individuals in various ways and to various degrees, there is no positional hierarchy. We are to love and respect the authority that is ordained within our church, but we are all on the level playing field when it comes to the ability to know our Lord and follow him. Now, an overseer is to be an example of what a mature follower of Jesus is like, and they must be able to teach or give instruction on how to follow Jesus. Your senior pastor is the chief example of a teacher in his preaching, but there are other venues and methods of teaching from a classroom or a home Bible study or even the guy that takes a young person fishing or invites him over to do some woodworking. An overseer is able to convey truth to others in the context that they find themselves in. Now, my previous statement notwithstanding, the overseer must be trained. If you were to ordain an overseer that's a novice when handling the word of God and in shepherding the flock, well, that would be the epitome of foolishness and would be inviting disaster into our midst. So the question is, who is responsible for training the Bible in correct doctrine? Godly men teach, but only the Holy Spirit can illuminate the scriptures. I'm thankful for great men, great teachers who helped me in my Bible studies, men like Charles Ryrie. 
John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Chuck Swindoll, J. Vernon McGee, David Jeremiah, Joseph Stowell, John Townsend, John Piper, Kevin DeYoung, Paul Washer, and many local pastors who have invested in my life directly in shaping who I am and how my ministry is evolving. While I'm thankful for the insightful teaching of these men and the impact they've made on my life, their usefulness would have only been superficial without the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating Scripture and my personal Bible study. Now, we're not quite there yet, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, these irreverent and silly myths. The problem is that while our hearts are made to worship God, with the corruption of sin, we are prone to idolatry. We have the words of God contained within the Bible. Or in other words, if the almighty God of the universe, the one who created and sustained all things, were to come down here and talk to you, the things he would want to convey to you are what has been written in the Bible. We have the message from God at our fingertips, but we want something new, something exciting, spectacular, fantastic, unique, unbelievable. The realm of fiction is much more palatable than the realm of reality. Now, the Jews had some fantastic myths, and while I didn't bother doing a historical study on when these myths started appearing, I have a feeling that some were adapted from the Canaanites that they didn't utterly destroy, and some were invented during their captivity years. At any rate, here's a sample of some of the Jewish myths that I found. First one was Father Abraham. The myth is that he sits at the gate of hell so that no Jew could ever enter hell, no matter how bad they were. Or the unfinished corner of creation. This is where everything bad comes from, like storms and earthquakes, famine, disease, etc. And the Messiah would finish that corner of creation when he came to prove who he was. We have the city of Luz, where men never die and could live forever. But once they left, they would immediately age and die. Or how about Adam's first wife, Lilith, who was rebellious to God and Adam and became the mother of all demons. We have Solomon's ring that had the power to bind demons. The, the story goes that a, there was a blood-sucking demon plaguing the land. He would come in the middle of the night and suck the blood out of your thumb. Anyway, Solomon used the power of this ring to trap the demon for all eternity. I know it it's, sounds kind of silly or ridiculous to us, but what about today? Do we have any silly myths like this? I hear the most ignorant things coming out of church attenders' mouths on their Facebook feeds. Things like seeing ghosts or speaking with angels or demons or seeing visions during trauma, supernatural dreams or visitations by aliens, etc. Instead of these silly myths, we're supposed to train ourselves for godliness. You know, if you want to be strong, you train at the gym. If you want to be fast, you train at the track. But if you want to be godly, you train in the Bible. I'm amazed by people who can rattle off sports statistics, weather predictions, stats on guns, all the political intrigues of candidates, but when it comes to something spiritual, they sit there like a deer in the headlights with absolutely nothing of value to say. Next, don't wait for the sweet by and by. We often have a skewed outlook on salvation because many of us have been given a skewed gospel most of our lives. We've been told that if we want to avoid hell, to ask Jesus into our hearts. 
So we treat salvation like some kind of fire insurance policy. But we go on our merry way as if nothing had happened. And frankly, for some people, nothing has happened. I'm telling you that just as the old hymn says, you can come just as I am, but you cannot leave just as you were, or otherwise you're fooling yourself, repentance hasn't happened, and you're still heading to hell. God's word has the power to affect a changed life in us now, not just some vague notion of glorification later on. What's our hope? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. So what is our hope? Our hope is that because of the promise that our sins are forgiven, that we have a changed life that's bent towards godliness now, a promise of sinlessness at our glorification, we can now set our hopes and our cares, our life, in the protection of Jesus Christ our Lord. We no longer have to strive to earn our salvation from an angry God. Rather, we can strive to please our Heavenly Father by serving Him through serving others with acts of godliness. Now that's a real hope for today instead of a vague notion for someday. Now, Paul knows how most people can view from the outside. We see a young guy, green behind the ears, and we poke fun and we find fault, and we dismiss out of hand. Now, when I was growing up, I used to love watching The Muppets, and my favorite characters were Stanley and Waldorf. You remember the the two old guys up in the box seats who would heckle the guest performers and the regular stage performers. They would even heckle each other. Now, I uh, work in the media department at my local church, and uh, me and the sound guy, we've been known as the Stanley and Waldorf in the media booth. And The worship practice hour before church starts can often be filled with the sounds of laughter as we banter back and forth with our worship team. Now, while they were funny to watch on television, there is nothing more discouraging than being told that you don't know what you're doing or people just being bad examples of what a mature believer look like. If I could encourage our seasoned saints for just a moment, remember it was just a very short time ago You were the young people who were on fire for the Lord and wanted to shape the ministry of your local church. As younger Christians, we tend to push for things and then look to our mature saints for approval. The fire of young people can quickly be stomped out by the criticism of those we look to for support. So please be generous with your encouragement and temper your corrections and criticisms with love. Now, being the example, Paul is reminding Timothy that as an overseer, one of his primary functions is to be an example of what a mature believer is. We see this same thought over in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We need to live the type of life where others can be safely shepherded towards following Jesus when they're following us. Can someone follow Christ without a godly example to follow? Well, I guess so. Just like I might be able to reach the top of Mount Everest without a guide, it's possible, but not the easiest or the most desirable way. Let's talk about the functions of the church for just a little bit. We see just three simple things here. The public reading of the scripture, the exhortation or encouraging to do the right things, and teaching. In my humble opinion, I think we've definitely muddled up the simplicity of the local church with all the programs, the flash and dazzle, the marketing, the showmanship, 
in our efforts to grow the church. Here's a question to ponder. What could the church in general look like if we stripped away all the extra stuff we've attached to the church? All the stuff we've come to expect from the church and we return to the basics. Just a question to ponder. Now, Paul reminds Timothy of how the local church in Lystra and Derby saw this gift that Timothy had when they recommended him to Paul and when they ordained him to the ministry. The office of overseer and deacon should not be a candidate runoff, but rather a natural ordination of those who exemplify the gifts necessary to serve. The office of overseer, elder, pastor, it should be a local candidate. How else could you possibly evaluate a lifestyle? Now, how many local churches have been duped by a flash and dazzle guy with four good sermons in his back pocket? Next thing you know, you're saddled with God only knows what, and you may have just signed on your local congregation for something awful because you were duped. How do I know this? I've lived through it twice. Now, for those of you that don't know me personally, aren't tenders of my local church, our senior pastor... He was already an established member of our local church, and he had a lifestyle that was commendable as an overseer. He had that overseer material, and when we needed a pastor, he was willing to apply for that position. And I love my pastor, but I know he's not immortal, and there's going to come a day when he wants to change his focus of ministry from being the head overseer to something different. Now, right now, we have another fine example of someone who has grown up within our church. He moved away for a while and was serving in another church, and we called him back to be our associate pastor. He's different than our senior pastor, but he's a fine example of overseer material. And this isn't a commercial for him by any means, but it's something that I think everybody should think about quietly in their mind. If you have somebody that's qualified to be a pastor, would you like to have them as your pastor? Somebody that you've seen for a long time, you can testify to their life, how they deal with their family, how they deal with your church? Or would you be willing to gamble with your local church by reaching out into the darkness and trying to find this unknown person to be your overseer? Finally, we have this idea of save yourself and your flock. We aren't talking about the positional salvation from sin. What we're talking about is salvation from the acceptance of the habitual practice of sin, the salvation from false teachers or false doctrine, the salvation from a lazy attitude towards our faith, and the salvation from ignorance of the scripture. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a good servant overseer by continually training himself in the local church with the word of God and to get the silly myths out of the church. Paul wants Timothy to show the local church how God's word changes our lives now and not only in the afterlife. Paul doesn't want Timothy to worry about his young age or about those who might look down on him for being a young pastor. Paul wants Timothy to always remember that he is in this position because he has a well-recognized gift. And Paul wants Timothy to save himself and his flock a lot of hardship by remaining true to the Word. The Discipleship Center and its subsidiaries, TDC Aquaponics and TDC Farm, are a registered 501c3 charity serving in the not-so-beautiful city of Kekakee and its surroundings. Have you or a loved one been struggling with substance abuse? chronic unemployment, need some work experience after a recent incarceration, or just failed to move on to a more productive phase of life. 
There is hope just around the corner with the Discipleship Center where every life matters and we strive to fulfill the Great Commission one life at a time. Check us out on the web at www.discipleshipctr.org today.